Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. SEC headlines and more coming up on OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. We say hello as we broadcast live from Nashville. 6th and Peabody, our location. The OutKick studio is right here with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine made daily here on site in 20 minutes. At least one big thing on every SEC team in spring practice. Uh, later, coming up in, in one hour, Brock Heward, uh, sideline reporter for the USFL. He's with Fox Sports. He'll be with us, and we'll talk all things football with him at uh, the uh, in the next hour, top of the, uh, the, the third hour of the show. A couple headlines out there. Uh, we mentioned yesterday briefly Congress taking a look at the Washington Commanders uh, saying that they may have engaged in unlaw- un- unlawful financial conduct. And when you start skimming off the top with the NFL owners, that's where you start looking around if you're a, another owner in the league and say, yeah, if, if we're about to vote this guy off the island, now's the time to do it because he's affecting the bottom dollar and if he's lying about the financials, him being Daniel Snyder. I'll also say this, it reminds me a lot of what happened, and it's not comparable on the, on the same level here uh, because one is the, the team owner and the other is a coach, but it reminds me a bit of John Gruden uh, with the emails that got out. How many coaches, how many front office people, how many owners looked around and said, how secure is my email chain or my text chain going? It reminds me of the FBI investigation with college basketball and the wiretaps where we heard from several coaches that got popped, Will Wade being one of them. But how many other coaches thought, I wonder if they were listening on my conversation? How many NFL owners today are talking with their attorney, with their general counsel, about what has been going on in Washington? Maybe not trying to compare their organization to that one, but hey, if someone starts snooping around here or someone alleges this or that, are we about to be in hot water too? How close are we? How lukewarm are we? I, th- I think that's going on across the league, more, more than what people may realize based on this type of story. I think that any time you've got something to this level, I do think there's probably something a bit different and extreme about Daniel Snyder and what he's been doing. It looks like blatantly trying to keep money from the league for an organization, any NFL organization that's already making so much money it seems like even some penny pinching to a big time extent. That's what these guys do. And, and if that's the case, he's going to keep his team. Why? Well, because everyone's going to sit around being afraid that they're the next one and they're not going to push for him to be ousted. The easy assumption to make, and I made the same assumption, was okay, now you're messing with their money because that's ultimately what they care about. So he's going to be voted off the island because. Daniel Snyder has messed with league owners' money. They don't care about him playing, you know, grab ass with an intern. They don't care about that. Mm-hmm. They care about this. Well, Congress they don't care about that going in the in there. The, the law does, 
but they don't care about this with Daniel Snyder. But once he starts affecting their bottom line, then they're going to care about it. I just think anytime there's controversy like this, very powerful people automatically get nervous. I don't know. Aren't good business owners? Robert Kraft is a good business owner. His product has been good. His organization um, has been good. I'm not pretending I, I, I know behind the books. Jeffrey Lurie. Well, let's start with, is let's regarded, start with Robert Kraft. Just on the surface level, if I'm listening or watching this show right now, I can name you two scandals in the NFL and one in a massage parlor within the last 15 years. I can combine all that under Robert Kraft's watch. Yeah, if I'm Robert Kraft and the news about my visits to uh, massage parlors was not already public news. Orchids of Asia Once this started happening, Daniel Snyder came back and said, I know a lot about a lot of you. I'm sweating if I'm him. We're talking talking about uh, the the books now, though, the, the financial stuff, which is where I think Robert Kraft would say on the, on the um, sexual harassment stuff and stuff like that, I'm not, I'm not going to get involved because I've got my own stuff that you know, maybe doesn't reach your levels and isn't, isn't criminal and I'm uncomfortable with what's going on there, but I'm not going to wade into that because of my own stuff. But on business, where I've got uh, you know, major tentacles at Harvard Business School and Columbia, I am above board. And Jeffrey Lurie and other people in the league, I think, who have reputations, long-standing reputations, I think, I'm imagining, probably would say, I know how to run a business. And I'm not screwing over my partners in the NFL here. I'm partners with people in the NFL because we make money together. I'm better at it than you are. I'm, I, I've turned the Patriots into something more than you've turned your team into. But together... Uh, we've risen the tide for all boats here, and we're making a ton. And if you're going to screw me on the money front, I, I've got nothing to hide. My books are, are clean. I may have personal issues where I've done stupid stuff, and that's a different matter. But I think there are probably plenty of NFL owners, maybe I'm naive here, who run clean businesses. Uh, th- they're NFL business, and a lot of them are in plenty of other businesses I think there are plenty of NFL owners who can insulate themselves and fire someone that takes the heat for it instead of them taking the fall. And right now you've got Congress looking at the Snyders and not looking, well, they would be looking at people beneath them too, but the reports are directly going to ownership and not some ticket guy who's got a deal going with ticket brokers internationally that are funneling tickets that season ticket holders should be having access to, for instance. Um, That... There, there are different levels to it, and I think the, the one area, if they really want this guy out, is to point to the Congress investigation and point to it being you know, a, a House committee issue and not an NFL issue as to why he's going to be forced out. Well, and it also, do they deep down want him out? I don't, I don't know the motivation behind do, do, Are there owners that really like him personally? No, I, I don't, I don't think deep down you, any of the owners want anyone else out. Yeah, I think I think it's more of the mutually assured protection. Yes. So it, it's it's not. Donald Sterling was voted out, right? Yes. I also get the sense that the owners just hated Donald Sterling, so they really wanted him out, and they're thinking, okay, I don't have anything to this level, so this is one where we can take a pass and get someone out because we don't want them there. I think with Daniel Snyder, if you've acquired this much wealth, 
and this is me not being naive. You've done something. You have done something. You don't, that is not a natural process. Short of the Rooney family, maybe, who may be the purest group out there in the NFL, every single owner has done something to either acquire wealth, maintain wealth, maintain their team, buy their team, buy another business, sell a business. They've done something they don't want everybody knowing about. Hutton, I think you're right in that the smart ones and everyone who owns an NFL team just is smart to an extent. And does well? I think people inherit money and they do things below board to keep the money at times. Everybody? Everybody. I, mean, I think if you are a billionaire in America, you have done something. Something. There's no one that's pure that's a billionaire. You watch Billions, right? Billions is a fiction TV show. I, I'm not pro billionaire. You don't think that billions is pro, written by people that know that world, though? I'm not pro billionaire, but I think it's a really sweeping statement to say anybody with money has done something nefarious to maintain their I'm not their saying life. that they have maintained it all by nefarious means. I think a lot of billionaires have done a lot of good things. I'm saying there has been something along the way that you've had to do, that you've done, and you've justified it in one other way. I don't think that's a crazy statement to say that. You don't think there's anybody has cooked a book before, hidden money from the IRS, done something, not disclosed everything they're supposed to on the sell or an acquisition of a business? I don't know if, enough about it to, to make such a declaration. I don't. Well, I don't, I don't know about these owners to make the declaration you're making, which is assuming there's more good than, <laughs> than oddities here. I think there are more owners that are nervous about it than what you may expect. Uh, because uh, I mean, how many of the think about the ownership stories we've had recently, just over the last five years? Haslam, Jerry Jones, Snyder, uh, Mark Davis. I mean, they're they're you could point to all of them, and and say they're not getting voted out because we all we all acknowledge there is a fraternity of secrets that goes on, uh, or non disclosure that goes on. Robert Kraft is another one that comes to mind. He's paying to make sure that that video doesn't get out uh, of him inside Orchids of Asia Day Spa. Well, there's a story recently that the people no, that were arrested for t- uh, for going there, he wasn't. There is a story that didn't even it didn't even it's barely scratched the surface With nationally Jerry about Jerry Jones of paying off a child, the woman that he knocked up in the '90s, and he's been paying her off to stay quiet about it, and we barely even talked about it. My my only point is, and I'm not just talking about personal conduct. I think there's probably plenty of owners who are upstanding citizens personally. Not all of them are up to a bunch of crazy stuff on the side. I'm just saying that if you're one of these 32 owners, you're looking at this and you're pissed because he's affected your money. There's no doubt about it. They're angry with Daniel Snyder. But I think that everyone that's angry is probably also sitting there saying, I also don't want the bright lights of an investigation coming in on everything I've done with my team or everything that's happened over the course of my career. I don't think anyone in life would want that. Well, I don't think there's been any indication that, the, that Congress is thinking this is uh, beyond uh, Washington commander's problem. I, here's my question. If I'm an owner, at what point does Daniel Snyder and all this attention Daniel Snyder is bringing to the league a diminishing return? And do I say, let's just get a new owner in there who doesn't bring all this attention with sexual harassment and cooking the books, who's just a, a quiet owner, like, you know, I don't know, pick a team that's not making a lot of noise with ownership right now. I think there are plenty of people who could do that. 
Yeah. But this is but and I, a new owner but in I the keep league is going to be why, generally quiet. But the new why Denver does owner, that not happen more often? Because there have been plenty of owners who embarrass the league over the years, and you don't they you don't just get together and decide, man, this guy embarrassed me. I want him out. Well, I think generally the uh, correct me if if you think I'm wrong. An owner makes a gaffe, embarrasses the league, tries to apologize, retreat, make amends, and all of that. Snyder has been in the middle of this stuff for a while, hides, uh, is not apologetic about it. I don't think has a lot of allies. We were saying, like, who are his friends? He's never linked up. Like, he doesn't have his uh, posse or his gang of owners that you ever hear about. Doesn't need them. Yeah. But I'm just saying, if you're going to kick somebody out, it's a guy on an island like that. Um, as opposed, it's just extremely hard to do, and I think yeah, the, the only way to do it is to point to the Congress investigation and whatever comes of this. Um, again, as of now, it's may have is the way it's described. But if I mean, they found he has, he's, yeah. he's going to be in yeah, they're, hot they're, water. He's going to no get doubt. fined more than ten million dollars, um, which is what he got for the first round of his troubles, which is nothing. And they're going to have to have to do something. I would think at a certain point, the guy would be sick of all of the... I mean, can he walk around anywhere and not be booed at in, in the D.C. area? I don't He's know how many people, uh, just seeing Daniel Snyder, you know, I, I don't know how often he gets out. He's not insulated around people, but I don't know how often he's just walking up to his neighborhood coffee shop no, but I'm saying, around people. If you own a team... Don't you want to be somewhat liked for what you do for I that team? I think Daniel Snyder just, just wants to be it? filthy well, rich. I mean, consider the wealthy. I mean, there, there is the, the 1% lives in a completely different bubble and world than the rest yeah, of the country. He's and, around and only Earth. people that, that agree with him. Yes. I know, but you show and up honestly, to a that game. Is, that look includes at Hollywood other NFL and how they, owners. they treat these acceptance speeches. Like that, that's the same way yeah, that some it, of these NFL owners act. They don't or, or ownership in general, not just the NFL. Certainly at the owners' meetings and things like that. I'm just saying, wouldn't you like to be able to set foot in your stadium on an NFL Sunday I don't and think not have everybody in the building hate you? I don't think he cares. I think he just wants to be filthy rich. And I think he wants people around him that he's going to pay to protect there, him. I mean, there is lawyers a reason. and people that are going to agree with him. Uh, franchisers are only going up in, in value, and they're getting paid more and more and more per year. Even if if you do absolutely nothing, yeah. Well, here's so I mean, that, there's a reason so, why these guys don't sell. And here's the it, and the not selling and the not being forced out. We read all this and think, man, Daniel Snyder is just a slimy, un- unlikable character. He's terrible with the team. He's not good for the league. Again, this is all of us sitting around right, watching right. it, thinking, if I were another owner, I'd really like that one excuse to get rid of him and put someone else there with that team and see what could happen for the league with a different owner. Yet, these things continue to happen with him, and I get the sense that every other owner is saying, man, are we going to have to do something with this? I don't want to do anything to Dan. I don't want to make a guy sell the team. I don't want to force some new rule in there where you're made to sell the team with NFL rules because of scandal. So, so I get the sense that, people are, that the owners are looking around thinking that, and not how can we get rid of him. So here, here's an example of how I would say Do you guys that agree the or disagree business with that? goes on. Probably. I, I, I tend to agree uh, to, to what Chad was saying. Uh, and Paul, see if you agree here. So Stan Kroenke is the owner of the Rams. Technically, 
Based on the bylaws of the league, you cannot own another pro sports franchise. So guess who's listed as the owner of the Los Angeles Rams? His wife. Ann Kroenke. She's listed as the owner. What if Dan Snyder said, you know what I am going to sell? I'm going to sell to Tanya, my wife. She's going to, have, she's going to be the, the owner now. I've sold. She's now the owner. Yeah. Or they could, uh, you know, they've effectively, they do? they've effectively pushed it that way as part of his punishment that, that she's in control now as it is. Right. So, I mean, that, that's my overall point is you, you can fix and manipulate things optically to work in your favor, even though we all well know Stan Kroenke's running the Rams. And here's another thing that hasn't come up with regard to Washington. I mean, he's, he's allegedly fooling, uh, uh, messing with this bucket of visiting revenues that goes into the pot. The visiting revenues in Washington might be the worst in the league because attendance sucks in Washington because fans there are sick of the product right. and because they're sick of bad football. The, the, the so only- if you're a co-owner there in the league, you're already saying Washington's not pulling its weight in the visitor's bucket. This is one of our problem franchises. He's not running a, oh, a good I, organization. I'm sorry, but if I'm, if I'm Washington, I turn around and say, I am pulling my weight. Have you seen our TV ratings? We're on national television that's bringing in the television revenue that every single owner benefits from. And, I mean, would you rather have $77 million and be the Green Bay Packers, which that's the only public number we know. In 2019, the Packers reported $77 million in ticket revenue. Meanwhile, Washington's a part of uh, a market and a part of a league where every team's getting three hundred million off their TV deal, which one's more valuable, ticket sales or the TV deal? No, I'm just—that's what I would say I, if I'm Dan Snyder. Yeah, I get your point. I'm saying about this issue, he already sucks on this issue because they don't—they don't draw. So it's funny he's messing with this with this number, which already, in terms of his organization, is is not a good number because they don't draw well. But it's, it has nothing to do with it drawing. That's the, but the. That that's where you can actually skim off the top and the, with the revenue share. Everything else goes to him anyway with parking and control. merchandise and, and anything else they want to do Where he's not locally. doing nearly as well as he could be um, You know, radio networks. All of that stays local with, with the team. They have to share the ticket revenue amongst the other owners. What, 40% of it yes. with the other teams. So that's the only area where you could skim off the top and not – Pay, pay your fair share, no matter what it is. Yeah. Whatever the number is, even if you're one of the highest attended teams, which Green Bay would be. Um, I don't know what the lowest number would be. To me, there wouldn't be a huge dip in that number, though. No. Green Bay who's, who's the worst attended team in the league? I mean, Texas. Uh, this is also people um, are paying for tickets and not showing up, right? In Houston, people have paid for tickets and not showing up. Jacksonville's the worst yeah. number in the league. But the Commanders are I'll bottom five. I NFL attendance last yeah, year. Yeah, but that, that number means nothing. Because it's yeah, because you don't necessarily report paid attendance. Nobody reports paid attendance. Attendance figures that are out there in the NFL mean absolutely zero, except for Green Bay, right? Which they report. We get those, which we know are good. According to this, it's one. This was just last year. Dallas one, Green Bay two, Denver three. Yeah, and all those are very believable. That size of stadium. Well, bottom three. I mean, it makes sense to me. Detroit last, Washington second to last, Jacksonville third to last, thirtieth. These are all very believable. Cincinnati, 29th. Cincinnati, by the way, as of two weeks ago, had not sold out of their season ticket allotment. I was stunned by that. That is surprising. For this year. And they're going to build a facility. They're building a practice bubble. Stepping Uh, up to the modern world for that. uh, By the way, Washington, far and away the lowest percentage of stadium full. Far and away. 
What's that? Sixty four percent. And that's very terrible believable number. having been there. And I'm looking I mean, through the just a quick glance, the numbers. The closest to that is Detroit at seventy nine percent. People show up in Detroit. Sixty four percent bad team. I think about the times that. that we've been there. Fifteen percent jump from Washington to the next worst team in percentage full. To Detroit. People show up in Detroit, Chad. We've been there a couple times. It, it's a good stadium, first off. Ford Field is a, is a good place. And people, that's a place where even for bad football, people have a tendency to show up, at least like for the first two-thirds of the year until it's absolutely, you know, unquestionably over and they're, they're tired of it. But uh, in terms of people going to watch a bad team, that city's pretty damn good. Uh, and Detroit was amongst, uh, if you ask me the loudest stadiums that I've been on the sideline for, Detroit would be in my top five. That's a stadium we should mention more when we're talking about what they need to do in Nashville. Some features of that stadium. That's a very good build. I was build. shocked. By the way, speaking of Nashville and knowing how these numbers really aren't true, what's Nashville? it says 99.2% of seats were full that's for a Titans not, game. That's not Is true. that this year? It was 2021. It was certainly no, better in 2021, but it wasn't 90. I mean, I'm sure they're saying tickets sold. They set attendance records two or three times this season at games. They did very well, but there were a couple games that were not that would have kept it from being 99% over the course of the season. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. Coming up in uh, 40 minutes, Brock Heward will join us uh, with Fox Sports and the USFL. Looking forward to that conversation. When we come back, one big thing across the SEC, you need to know from each team, either in spring practice right now or teams that just wrapped up their spring games over the weekend. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. From 6th and Peabody in Nashville, I'll kick 360 rolls on. So... Look, spring practice is a little crazy across college football. I don't buy into the whole, you know, the impact going into the season necessarily. Because the, the guy that may show out as a true freshman may not even play but more than four games so he doesn't have to burn a red shirt, right? Or you may see a guy, I don't, I'll have an instance of this, um, not participate in the spring because he's running track. So you have the backup show up and show out, but he's still not going to be the starter. But there are big things across the SEC to pay attention to in large part as we go into and position for fall practice and uh, the summer camps that will get underway in, in August. Guys, we should start with Georgia, the defending national champs, an NFL record for players at the Combine in February. Uh, they do return starting quarterback Stetson Bennett. Um, we found out today that JT Daniels is headed to West Virginia. So he'll be the starter at West Virginia. Um, and Stetson Bennett wins that job yet again. No, no doubt, no question after winning the title. But they are in the midst of, of trying to replace one talented defense. And I'm not sure you find all those answers immediately over a course of a spring practice or spring work. Uh, 
Jalen Carter, though, is in line to be the next star on the defensive line. He's been the big, the big storyline there. Kentucky. A lot, a lot of Georgia guys we, getting drafted. Well, one thing on Georgia, too. I think it's very easy to go with the – and it's true. Yes, they're losing a lot of guys in the NFL draft, but they're also losing a lot of transfers. Uh, a lot of players transferring out of Georgia. But the, look at their recruiting classes. Look at what's stacked right. on top of each other. That still takes time to coalesce. And when you have a defense the way they had last year and you lose that many guys coming back, maybe by late October – they round into form, and they're a dominant defense, but it could take time. Well, I mean, one of those transfers is now at Alabama, and uh, he's been the biggest talk of, of spring work in, in Tuscaloosa. That's where Georgia's got to, to find that explosiveness on their offense and you know, bring some of that back. Um, I don't know if there's any immediate answers there just off of a couple practices. Kentucky started incredibly hot a year ago. They've switched offensive coordinators uh, they have been relentless in the transfer portal, and Will Levis is back. My, the biggest question going on there is, can Will Levis take his game to the next level? He's the backup at Penn State, shows up and starts at Kentucky, has Liam Cohen as his offensive coordinator, who's now headed back to L.A. Uh, with the Rams, uh, where he was previously. After a year with Kentucky, he's back calling plays now uh, and, and being the O.C. in title. Uh, for the Los Angeles Rams. Meanwhile, they've they've now um, got Levis, who should, by all accounts, be able to take his game to a, you know, one of those interesting quarterbacks for the next level for the league. But what I saw last year, guys, was a lot of inconsistency. Well, and they go right back to that. Well, uh, this time to Kyle Shanahan, right? They they hired a guy from the Forty ers that worked for. So they went back to the NFL route, similar system, uh, with their new OC there. So I mean, the thought is they continue to plug right along with what Will Levis was doing, at least the early part of last year, successfully. But the, the, they have been fruitful in the transfer portal, and that is the common theme with Kentucky and South Carolina. Um, we, we know about the upgrades at quarterback beyond Spencer Rattler. They add wide receiver, uh, a couple wide receivers, uh, They've got uh, the starting running back, uh, Bill Smith, who's going to be there. They're an intriguing team on can they get to what Kentucky did a year ago? Maybe not like 10 wins in a bowl game uh, by winning 10 to get there, but to that next tier of SEC play. They're intriguing because of the, the Spencer Rattler edition. Um, and they, they got a four-star transfer from Central Michigan. Uh, I did an event last week with Philip Fulmer, and he was like, the, the transfer portal is, on the surface level, not a huge issue in the SEC because you're, you're basically bringing in a four-star to replace a four-star. But if you're at the tier below, the non-Power Five, the group of five, and you take a two-star and develop him into a four-star, you're screwed. He's not going to be of any value to you as a four-star because that dude's going to Georgia well, you have to or South again. Carolina in this case. You have to keep doing it. That's a harder challenge, I would think, than anything is to take the two-star, develop into a four-star for somebody else, and then you're asked to go do – okay, go develop the, another two-star. That's a bigger challenge in college football than, uh, than a lot of these other things. Yep. Collecting four-stars out of the transfer portal isn't very hard. With every great coach, we've seen a big jump up in year two. This feels like a big jump up in year two for Shane Beamer. And it's all because of quarterback. They didn't have one last year. They had a rotating group of guys 
Luke Doty, the G, the GA we joked about that was 24, well, 25 years old. They've got a quarterback now in Spencer Rattler. I also think a How year ago to get, no, to he, get to he that record. Last year. Well, he was a Heisman candidate coming into the year because yeah, of his but, performance the year before right, that. He had right. a bad year, but, I mean, he was great before that, and he was a top prospect. So he's still way better than, than anything they had. they had a year ago. Now, if you look at every type of luck metric in college football also, that was a very lucky team a year ago to get bowl eligible. Now, they went to the bowl game and destroyed. Well, uh, I forget who they played, but destroyed someone in that bowl game to get to that record. But this this could be a big jump up in year two and, for Beamer. And by the way, the Central Michigan player, uh, Devonnie Reed is his name. Not on offense. He's a safety. He's a four-star safety that transfers from Central Michigan to South Carolina, and that should really bolster their secondary. That's where they were letting down a year ago, and that's where we, we've seen the, the incoming yeah, talent. It was South Carolina beat North Carolina. North Carolina, yeah. It was North Carolina. Tennessee – I think the, the theme with Tennessee is the mindset uh, and the overall team outlook last year at this time to this year is a complete 180. I mean, it's just night and day where uh, it, they didn't say it was a tryout, but last year in the spring felt like a tryout for some of these guys. And now the coaching staff knows what they have, and Josh Heupel has shown everyone that he can cut it in the SEC. Not, not just by offensive style, but by recruiting – uh, with guys who aren't even currently on campus yet. I, I think that's that that's how I would describe the Tennessee spring. Tennessee appears to be the favorite to be second place in the SEC East in, in year two, which is pretty remarkable. It's also remarkable. Here's where I'd guard against uh, the Tennessee optimism. They don't have a left tackle currently. They really need to go find someone, anyone in the transfer portal. Uh, they don't have a defensive line that's proven to any extent. They're going to be a little bit better at linebacker. They lose Elante Taylor in the secondary. I still think they're going to be better in the secondary a year older yeah. with some guys. You're right. The roster's not where it needs to but be. But the roster, it's not just where – they're going to be fine on offense if they can figure out something at left tackle because I think returning skill guys, good. L losing Valus Jones Jr. is going to be a bigger loss than people expect for Tennessee. Um, the offense is going to be fine with Hendon Hooker coming back, with Tillman coming back, with Jabari Small if he gets healthy. They're going to be good on offense. I just, it's rare you see a team pick second in their division, which I think Tennessee is going to ultimately be picked second in the SECs that has these big of glaring holes at not just a spot, but a position group like they do on the defensive line. So that, that's where I'd guard against Tennessee a bit. Buy-in's got to be as high as it's been in some time without it being hope. Buy-in offensively, buy offensively. For the team is at an all-time high. I think what they are very confident what they're doing and knocking people off balance with what they're doing, and they have the ultimate faith in their their coach after a year. I have no idea why they wouldn't. I don't know what their their buy-ins like on defense. Yeah, they need guys. The hope they need they need guys to get after the quarterback on defense. The hope with Tennessee right now is at wide receiver because last year you relied on the veterans, you being the balls, relied on the vets to to carry the load. Now you're now you're banking on Hyatt and Callaway um, to take that immediate step. Well, Cedric Tillman helps. You know, he was their biggest best receiver a year ago. So yeah, he's the back. fact he's coming back is going to be he's going to have a, a monster year. boost. Yeah, Jalen Hyatt's the one that if you're just circling takeoff candidate, it's him because he's going to be in that Valus Jones role this year. And he even he's already admitted I didn't even work out last year. You know, I was completely despondent after Jeremy Pruitt got fired. He brought me in. 
I didn't buy in. I'm bought in now. And he's 180 instead of 160. Yes, so that, that's the one that could get a lot better for Tennessee. Florida is interesting. Billy Napier's the obvious uh, question there. When he comes in, and you don't really know what he has. Anthony Richardson, they believe, is the guy. Keep in mind, Emory Jones transferred out. Anthony Richardson, though, is coming off of knee surgery, knee injury, uh, that limited him, and, and he's recovering from that. Uh, and then they've lost their running back as well from a year ago, so they've got question marks there. I do think, though, Florida can have one of the top defenses in the SEC East. They've, they've got some answers at, at linebacker with Miller and, and Bernie. They've got great experience at linebacker that I think bolsters them in the SEC East. Um, you know, Vanderbilt struggled through their inaugural season. And, you know, behind the curtain, uh, before the show, we were looking at over-unders for win totals for the 2022 upcoming season. And I know Trey Wallace and, and Paul and Chad will get into this tomorrow. Uh, Vanderbilt's not predicted to do very much better <laughs> this upcoming season. And there are huge question marks as to why. If, if in fact, we're sitting here a year from now saying Vegas got it right. They're over-unders at two wins. And there's only one guarantee we found on their I think, schedule. Yeah. I think, yeah. I feel the same They're way. They're going to Hawaii. They've got Wake Forest here. They're at Northern Illinois. Well, and, and the, yeah. the, the concern is up front on offense because they're an example of a Power 5 school having a great player that transfers to Alabama. Ten, a 10-game starter is now going to go start at Alabama next year instead of start for the Commodores on West End. Um, and I look for Missouri to take a step forward on offense. Uh, Luther Burden on campus, five-star wide receiver. Uh, that brings a boost of talent. Um, and Eli Drinkwitz, uh, love him or hate him. Missouri fans love him because he's their guy. But he does have his team play well at, through spurts. We saw it against Kentucky early in the season. We saw it late in the year as well. After getting drubbed by Tennessee, they turn around and play well down the stretch. So um, they're, they're about what we expect them to be. That's, that's what I would say with Missouri. Yeah, they're, they're in that tier with South Carolina – the tier that I think South Carolina can jump out of. Well, Eli Drinkwitz was the opposite of what I said Shane Beamer could be this year and year two. Huge drop-off yeah. from year one with uh, their trajectory. By the way, Vanderbilt a year ago beat Colorado State and UConn. Those are their two wins all year. And UConn If you're was, telling me they have one or two wins again this year, not a single one of them is an SEC game. UConn was a last-second kick. So Elon yes. is their Elon. <laughs> Elon. You keep saying Elon like Milan. Elon. Like Milan to is that's their one guaranteed win from what we looked Well, at. a year ago we said ETSU was their one guaranteed win, and they lost 23-3. to And then they won at Colorado State, which we thought was going to be tricky, but Colorado State turned out to be one of the worst teams in Division One, yeah. and they barely won that one. And they beat UConn, who was the worst team in FBS, on a last-second field goal. Coming up – That was some good schedule. A run through the SEC West where two teams in particular – have really taken a step forward since we last saw them play. I know one of them. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. 
The A-Day game is this Saturday in Tuscaloosa. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Alabama, Bryce Young has found a new favorite target. Expect Jermaine Burton to be all the talk of this game and the weekend from college football purposes. He's the Georgia transfer, and he's already dominating the conversation. The, the biggest question for Alabama is who's going to be Bryce Young's backup. They have uh, Milrow and they have Ty Simpson. And in recent years, although it didn't happen last year, in recent years, the backup quarterback has played a significant role for Alabama. Tua comes to mind for Jalen Hurts. Who's going to win the backup job uh, in the full-time backup role and be the heir to Bryce Young? Now, the reason that's important is because the one who doesn't win the backup role is in line to transfer to probably an SEC school. Yes. With both of those guys, especially Ty Simpson, and uh, it would be nice if they had Paul Bear Bryant's grandson who transferred out, uh, who was a backup on, on last year's team who was uh, transferred from Alabama, which was odd for some people to see that Bear Bryant's grandson was transferring, but he wanted to go somewhere to play. Arkansas, there's a ton of momentum in Fayetteville. About two years ago, they were trying to snap a 20-game SEC losing streak, and now they're coming off of nine wins. They have victories over their rivals, Texas, Victory over Texas A&M and LSU last season. Uh, won a bowl game over a blue blood college football program in Penn State. I mean, there's a lot of momentum there. Nine of the 14 SEC teams have changed at least one coordinator. But here is Sam Pittman, who somehow kept Barry Odom and Kendall Bryles on staff. They're back. And so is their quarterback. Um, can they take K.J. Jefferson to the next level? And if so... Where does that put them in the SEC pecking order? They're one of the two teams that I think is on a trajectory to buy into the hype with. Speaking of back, this is the first time in Kendall Bryles' career he's had a starting quarterback come back mm. for a second year. He's always had to replace a quarterback every year he's been an offensive coordinator. K.J. Jefferson back. Arkansas swagger in that program is back. There's yes. a lot of positivity around that program and a lot of good feelings around Sam Pittman and what he's done at Arkansas. That is, I think a year ago, A&M was kind of that sleeper pick in the SEC West. Arkansas is my sleeper team to watch in, in that division this year. A number of players for Auburn have either been sidelined with injury or just uh, limited this spring due to injury. Um, so there's not a lot of news and notes from the starting lineup. I, I, I'd say that in looking up at Auburn and watching them this spring in, in post – the takeaway is most of the reporters there say Brian Harson has actually been kind of normal, which is unusual. I, I would have found that unusual based on the offseason. Um, uh, very normal. TJ Finley is the number one guy right now. And I say right now because their offense is more, it's catered to him. They're going to feature more rollouts than what they did last year. Um, but that also fits. Zach Calzada, who has transferred in, but he's, he's hurt. He's right? hurt, so he, uh, he's one of the guys I'm talking about. Like you got T.J. Finley taking the first team reps. Calzada hasn't really done anything yet, other than sit in the playbook. And uh, they also have Robbie Ashford, who's a transfer from Oregon, who is in at Auburn as well. I'm intrigued by it. I, and Brian Harson is going to be in the quarterback room more than he's coaching the position more specifically than what he has last year. 
On defense, their defensive front is not great, and that is a huge problem for them. If they don't crash and burn, he's really accomplished something based on how bad their early offseason was and the infighting and the he's a coaches leaving and all of that. So if he's dead man walking and he, look he at does their, better look at their than division. expected, I mean, it's What's impossible better? schedule. It's impossible to do better than expected in that division at Auburn. Well, and that's, that's He's what not we, at Mississippi State. Yeah, that's his problem. And that's what we got into a little bit was – what is the expectation now for Brian Harson, a guy who clearly a big faction of Tiger supporters wanted him out? They're out. Well, if they're already out and they feel like they He's got doomed. usurped by the university or yeah. someone else, yeah. they are looking for the opposite of the NFL owners, looking for something on Daniel Snyder to get rid of him. They're hoping for any chance to keep him, it feels like. Auburn seems like the people that wanted him out want any reason to get rid of him. I'll give you a reason. September 17th, they host Penn State. Mm. That's it. They play Mercer and San Jose State. Win those two. They should. They get Penn State. They went up there. Good game. They lost a year ago in a great environment yeah. in, uh, at, at Penn State. They get Missouri at home after that. And then the gauntlet begins. LSU at Georgia, at Ole Miss, Arkansas at home, at Mississippi State, A&M, at Alabama. It's going to be a tough year, too, for Brian Harson. I think he has to surprise in a huge way to keep his job. As he's crazy going, as that he's sounds. He's not going to. No, I think that's, that's pretty I agree. obvious. And I agree, yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think he's, a, he I think was, he's done. He was begging for Oregon to hire him. And so they should have uh, just gone and pulled the Band-Aid off. But the thing is, they didn't have... They didn't have everyone behind it. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly there was some that didn't want to do it. And you also, like, where would they have turned to at that point? At that point in the offseason? It was, what, well, February? What, one of February? Their, one of their biggest alumni in profile money a lot of things is Charles Barkley and Charles Barkley spoke publicly about it and said you know they're they're trying to kill a coach down at my alma mater and I hate it you know it's wrong what they're doing to Brian Harson. so I say that to say that Charles Barkley probably wasn't the only one that felt that way that said this is going to make us look really bad if we go through with this witch hunt and get rid of him after one year because we we weren't overly thrilled with the results and now they put themselves in a Nearly impossible situation moving forward. Some, some quarterback news across the SEC West. Uh, Max Johnson was the talk of the spring at Texas A&M. Haynes King is the presumed starter at A&M. I would not count Max Johnson out. Um, uh, he's going to be involved even if he's not the quote-unquote starter, and he may end up starting at, at Texas A&M before it's all said and done. Wide receiver Evan Stewart is a true freshman wideout. They have a redshirt freshman running back that's going to play behind A-chain who was uh, uh, at track meets instead of the spring game. But they, they have some young talent at some skilled positions that should bolster that to go along with what's already going to be a talented A&M defense. And we know about the recruiting class. It is time to go at Texas A&M. Yeah. It now is the, is the time to go. They're going to be even better a year from now because of that recruiting class in this past year. But they don't need to start – the way they did last year. Now is the time for, for Jimbo Fisher. At LSU, Arizona State transfer, Jaden Daniels uh, took first-team reps at quarterback. So did Miles Brennan, uh, who was uh, – those covering the practices said that his deep passing was excellent. Um, and they still have freshman uh, Garrett Nussmeyer as well. So they have options there. Aside from that, linebacker seems to have settled down some. I know that was a bit of a question mark. Linebacker for them, they've got uh, Baskerville um, paired with a sophomore, Penn is his last name, who has really shown out and should start next to him on the inside. 
Uh, for Mississippi State, my one note, Mike Leach hosted a, a strategy class last week on campus. I'd love to attend that class. Insurgent Warfare and Football Strategy was the name of it. It's something that he's done at Washington State, and he brought it to Mississippi State, hosted it last week. And Jeff Levy is out, of course. He's gone on to Texas. Um, and at Ole Miss, Charlie Weiss Jr. is now the offensive coordinator for Lane Kiffin. US, USC transfer Jackson Dart is there. He's battling Altmeyer, who was the backup last year. And those two are going back and forth trying to see who can win the winning job for Kiffin. Keep in mind, uh, Jackson Dart threw for 1,300 yards a year ago at USC. Nothing great. Um, but Altmeyer threw for 192 yards. It's a good last quarterback year. name, Dart. Dart. A great name. And it's Jackson, J A X S O N. Jackson Dart, which is a terrific quarterback name. Uh, I see a step down this year, not Lane Kiffin stepping down. I think Ole Miss takes a sizable step down in the SEC this season. Well, I agree. He was great last year. I mean, yeah, they were the surprise I, team a year ago. Yeah. I don't think that's going to sustain this season These for guys Ole Miss. are not Matt Corral. That's right. Yep. And maybe we see a step down from both Mississippi State and Ole Miss. I don't know what the expectation is Vegas-wise for Mississippi State. They've got, they've got to protect their quarterback, Will Rogers, and they lost a good one in Charles Cross, who's going to be a top-ten pick. Coming up, Brock Heward joins us. He'll be on the sidelines for the USFL broadcast this weekend on Fox and NBC, but we'll talk football-related issues with him and preview the league that debuts on Saturday. That's Hour 3 on Outkick 360.